Well, good morning, 11 a.m. How's everybody doing today? It's good to see you guys. You weather warriors, you. My goodness, it was like a triple whammy, wasn't it? Like cold, wet, and an hour of lack of sleep. And here you are to be in the house of God today. So thank you for coming today. And all those who are watching us online, including my wife and my daughter who's home from college. Can we give her a big old wave? Hey, baby. They told me, uh, uh, they said earlier, it said, Pastor Chris, uh, that shirt, uh, you're gonna need to change that shirt. I said, well, it's because Lisa was asleep when I left. Because usually when she sees me come out of the closet, she'll be like, "Uh uh-uh, go back in there. But I was like, it's yucky out there. We're gonna spring it up with some white jeans. And production, poor Sarah, every she's like, don't ever wear that thing again. So you just got to deal with it right now. <laughs> I love you, Sarah. I'm just kidding. Just playing with you guys. Not really, but kind of. <laughs> awesome. Well, are you glad to be here? Yes. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew 5, but also kind of give you a little sneak peek. Go, go over to Matthew. Uh, let, me, let me make sure I got it right. Uh, go over to John chapter 8. So Matthew 5. Put your finger there, and we'll go to John chapter 8 at, toward the end. Those are our two main texts. And thank you for being here today. And, and really, I just want to say this. just want to echo what Trey said earlier. Uh, I know Easter, it feels like it snuck up on us, and the year's flying already. But uh, it is the biggest weekend of the year for many reasons. Um, and the biggest thing we know is that many, many people who normally don't go to church, who may not even believe in God, will visit because of an invite of a family member or a church member. And so I just want to encourage you. I'll add one other thing that we need to add to that is we need to pray. We need to pray for Easter. And that week, we're going to even have some fasting that we're going to fast and pray for Easter weekend. It's a big weekend. We need your help. If this is your home, we need your help. If you could serve one, sit one, that'd be great. Five services. There's going to be a lot of people here. We had four last year, and we were crammed, so we added a fifth one. And it's to reach people. It's not about a number. It's to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So be praying with us on that, and it's going to be a powerful time. And, and thank you for your help in advance. Um, you know, we're in the series that, that we're calling blessed. Somebody say blessed. Yes. Anybody here want to be blessed? I don't know anybody here or those watching us on like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, no. We, we all want to be blessed. And in this series, we're looking at the Beatitudes, but this is a deep dive of a journey we're going on for most of the year of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so if, if I was to sum up the Beatitudes and the whole sermon, it is really about our Christian character. It, the, the Beatitudes specifically, but all of, of five, six, and seven, is, is if you, someone was to say, hey, what does a Christian look like? I would take them to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It, it makes up the foundation of a Christian and, and of Christianity. And it's the attitude, somebody say attitude. Come on, you can have a good attitude or a bad attitude, and it is the beatitudes of Christ. And so may they be alive and well in us, amen? And it's, it's really the way, come on, Mandalorian fans, this is the way. Uh, it, it is the way that a Christian should talk, look, and, and treat others. It, it's, it's truly the way. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And, and we've been just kind of doing this deep dive. And let's go there now and read it together. Matthew chapter 5. 
And, and I'll just say this too, as you're turning there, Matthew chapter five, chapter five, sorry, starting at verse three, I need to tell my brain to slow down a little bit. If, if we live this way, you will stick out in the crowd. And let me, let me just say this, because some people are like, no, 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 I'm fine, in the crowd, we're good, we're good. Here's the thing, when you live like Jesus, you're gonna be a bright light in a dark world. Jesus said, don't, you don't hide the light under the bushel, you let it for everybody to see. You're, you're a city set on the hill. You're the light of the world. That's what Jesus spoke about us, the church. And so when we live this way, you stick out. And when you live intentionally for Jesus, you stick out. And let's look at the things that would stick out together here at Matthew chapter five, verse three. He says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? Blessed are those, we talked about this last week if you were here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be. And then today, we wanna drill down on the fifth beatitude. Come on, can we all read it together? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. So if you're taking notes today, the title of the message is Blessed Are the Merciful, or we could just call it Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. How many people know we need the mercy of God in our lives? Amen. We're going to brag on that for the next 30 to 40 minutes here in this message. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you are the one who turns all things around for our good and for your glory. And it's because you love us. And so we just brag on you now. And we thank you that you're here and we welcome you to come a little closer as we dive into your word and look at this incredible truth of living a life of mercy. So Holy Spirit, would you help me speak? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. So what is Jesus doing and who's he talking to in this powerful message that we call the Sermon on the Mount? there at the beginning of the Beatitudes. He's, he's inviting his present audience, mainly Jews, with some Gentiles probably sprinkled in there, but mainly Jews, to step out of the old covenant, which was filled with commands, rules, and regulations and requirements, and step into a new covenant. And here's the thing about the old covenant. By the way, let me just say this. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. Actually, Jesus came to fulfill the law, all right? And so this, this old covenant, all the rules and the regulations, they were all failing at it anyway, including the religious leaders. So Jesus is like, hey, I want you to step into something new. Somebody say new. Come on, you love new. New car smell, new carpet, He's saying, I want you to move into a new covenant that is centered around a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with one another. It's called doing life, biblical community. Let me, let me say it to you like this of what he's doing right here on the screen. There's a shift taking place. He said that this would be a shift, a huge shift from an old way of thinking, look at this, to a new way of living. From rules and regulations to a law of love. Come on, somebody. This new life would demand a new perspective on things, about how God thinks about me. Because the old way, we always thought that God was angry, but this new covenant, he actually likes me, and he loves me, and he wants relationship with me. 
even despite my own sins and failures, he still loves me. This was mind-blowing to the audience that he was speaking to and probably to many of us at times, like, God loves me at my worst? Yes, he does. And I'm so thankful. Anybody thankful that he loves us even at our worst? Hello. Look at this right here, John chapter one. John spoke about this regarding what I've just said. He said, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, come on, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's that unfailing love and faithfulness. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Now, we have to remember that the Jews that were listening to Jesus this on the hill there, this Sermon on the Mount that he's preaching, starting with the Beatitudes, they were used to hearing about law and judgment. And now they're hearing about, like, he wants a relationship with me? And, 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 and that's all they knew. Come on, it was law and judgment. It was passed down from generation to generation. And it was good, but Jesus is coming to fulfill it and saying, hey, there's a new way. There's even a better way. And it's all about me, Jesus would say. And so this was very different what they were hearing. And, and yet at the same time, they were drawn in. It was very attractive. This was a revelation teaching that these Jews had never heard before. But he was trying to help them at the time and help all of us for all eternity to learn that it's really Christianity is all about a relationship, a new life that is balanced with grace and truth. Come on, say grace and truth. Grace and truth. You know, it's something that the majority of the body of Christ, uh, we, can, we can easily lean too far one way or the other, thus getting us out of balance if we're not careful. Come on, have you ever been driving in your car, you know, and, and you, you just, this has happened to me so many times, it's just, mm, um, if I was a cussing man, I'm not, but uh, I just got my car aligned and I get up on, oh, heavenly I-85 and all of a sudden I feel my car pulling to the left. And I think back, like, what in the world happened? And I hit a curb or I hit a hole or something and it got me out of balance. You might know what I'm talking about. And so we gotta be careful that we are walking in grace and truth. Listen to me, church, because it's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. Let me, let me help us understand this, and we're gonna just do a deep dive on this as we look at the beauty of mercy. Right here on the screen, grace without truth is a gospel of toleration. I'm gonna explain that in just a moment about what it means to tolerate Grace without truth is a gospel of toleration. Grace, and here's what we gotta understand, truth without grace is a gospel of judgment. So we need both. It's both, boss. It's, it's grace and truth. Grace without truth is a gospel of toleration. It's kind of like, eh, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's sin, but it's, it's okay. It's good. They're good. But then truth without grace is a gospel of judgment. Like, they're going to hell. It's just judgment. And so we, we need both, amen? Somebody say both. And here's the deal. This is the beauty of it. Right in the middle of grace and truth is mercy. And before I tell you what God says mercy is, and actually mercy is God, I'm gonna give you the definition real quick of what the dictionary tells us. It is compassion. Somebody say compassion. Or forgiveness that is shown towards someone who really it's in their power to punish them, or even the dictionary says, or harm them. And we, we can hear that definition. I immediately think about what Jesus did for me. Because listen, church, 
You might not like the language of what I'm about to say, but it's true. You and I deserve death. We deserve hell. But someone named Jesus who knew no sin, stood in my place, stood in our place, and he died a criminal's death on a tree, on a cross, and he gave up his life and died so that you and I could live, amen? And that deserves more than a little golf clap. Jesus died so we could live. We deserve death. I deserve death. I deserve hell. But Jesus took my place. He paid a debt that I could never pay. It's called mercy. He gave his life. And and can I tell you, there's many names of our father. One of the names Exodus 34 tells us when God is having the conversation with Moses right there at the cliff of the rock where Moses is like, I wanna see you. God says, I am Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. The Bible even tells us that mercy surrounds his throne from where he rules. So God always rules from mercy. And here's what we know about the Lord. He is holy. Right now, the Bible tells us that the angels and the saints are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. As they just peer at him and they go around the throne, they're always getting a greater glimpse of the holiness of God. Listen, God is extremely holy, but he is also extremely merciful. I want to give you just some scriptures here. I could give you tons. Do your own study on on mercy in the Lord. But I want to give you just a few here. Uh, Psalms 103 8 through 12, right here on the screen. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Look at this. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, come on, say this with me, so great is his So great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And then final verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And I'm so thankful for that. Another one, one of my faves, Lamentations chapter uh, chapter 3, 22 and 23 says this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Come on, our God's love will never end. It's everlasting love. It's an unfailing love. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. I could bring up a hymn right now. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Or maybe your translation might say, the the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And then finally, Psalms 86, 5. I love just bragging on God here with the word. These few scriptures we're looking at. For you, Lord, look at this, are good and ready to forgive. Somebody say ready. Can we pause on that just for a moment? Leave it on the screen just for a sec. I used to, be, I used to think this way, and maybe there's people here in the room. I used to think that he was ready to punish me. God's not ready to punish you. He's ready to love on you through his forgiveness. We serve a loving God who is ready and willing and available to forgive us when we call upon him. For you, Lord, are good. Somebody say good. And ready to forgive and say it with me, and abundant in, are you getting the picture? He's full of mercy. He's full of mercy. Abundant in mercy to all those who call upon him. I'm wondering for all of us in the room today and those who are watching us online, I'm 
I'm wondering, anyone here have experienced the mercy of God in your life? My goodness, let me just kind of, I wanna, I wanna give you that, that clear definition and then we're gonna throw a party a moment and celebrate the mercy of God, all right? And we're not gonna give a golf clap, we're gonna give him our all because of the mercy he's put on our life. Let me give you the biblical definition of mercy. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Oh my goodness. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. You guys are so awesome. You jumped ahead of me, so we're gonna go. We're gonna have a praise break in just a moment. But I love it because it's already in you. You're like, oh, I, I, God's giving me merciful to me. I'm just gonna give him some praise right now. I'm not waiting on you, PC. But, so let me just say this: It's the mercy of God that I'm standing in front of you today. It's the mercy of God. I'm gonna say it like this: That I'm alive today. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was talking about I deserve death and I'm talking about eternal death and hell, but Jesus, but guys, I wanted to say for me and maybe people in the room and those who are watching us, I, I, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, I'd have been dead a long time ago. When I was running for him, the things I did, oh my goodness, it's the mercy of God that I'm standing in front of you today. Now, let me just say this to you. It's the grace of God that I'm your campus pastor. So uh, I, I wanna help us all understand this. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. That's the blessings. That's the unmerited favor. I don't deserve this. Anybody thinks they deserve anything, uh, you better take a step back real quick. That's called entitlement, all right? If you deserve, you know, I deserve this. You know what we deserve? Death. So if you wanna start saying what you deserve, we deserve death. But Jesus, but God stood in our place. But grace, somebody say grace, Grace is poured out on you and yours and on me and mine. It's the grace of God. It's the blessings of God. It's the favor of God. It's the grace of God that I'm your campus pastor. I don't deserve it. It's what God gave me as a gift. And I'm just talking about me. What about you? Let me, let me, let me, gosh, we gotta, we gotta get this. It's so good. Are you with me? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for his mercy that he's poured out on my life. I'm speaking, but I'm speaking for you also. So thankful for his grace and his forgiveness. Woke up this morning, there was mercy to greet me. Brand spanking new. Brand new mercy. Never runs out. Well, Pastor Chris, this weekend was a rough weekend. Trey's talking about the marriage night and good for all the couples, but all we did was fight all weekend. Well, guess what? Mercy was there to greet you when you woke up this morning. Whether you said things that were wrong or whatever, mercy was right there to say, come run to me. The mercy of God. So can I just say, can we take, I want us just to think for a moment. I just play the movie in your mind, not to relive your mistakes. Come on, that's, that's the pit of hell. We don't go back to relive, we go back to learn and we go back to say thank you because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God. So I want you to go back and just for in your mind, just think about where God, I mean, it's like a movie for me, all the times from my young years to my 20s and 30s and 40s and here starting my 50s of the mercy and the grace of God. Can you see it? Can you, can you see what God has done? 
Can you see how he's been there? We, we don't do it enough. And I want to read this real quick to you. It's not on the screen. It just came to me this morning because we need to, talk, we need to brag on God. We need to tell him. We need to, you need to sit in your favorite chair with your coffee in your hand and you need to say, God, you've been so good to me. You need to tell him. You need to verbalize to him and thank him for the mercy and the grace. Psalm 40 says this. Listen to this. Let me just declare this over you. A new song for a new day rises up in me every time I think about how he breaks through for me. Ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. Church, can we just for a moment just tell God how great he is and just brag on him for a moment for his mercy and grace? Oh God, we thank you, Lord. Come on, let's tell him, God, you're good. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I don't deserve it, God, but you're so good to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, church, we need to have a praise break all the time, wherever you're at, in your car. I mean, you might pull up at the red light, but having a praise break, everybody looks over like, what is going on? They don't know what you've been delivered from. They don't know what you've been healed from. They don't know what God's done in your life. I mean, I heard there were some married couples on, on Friday night cutting the rug around here. Some of you need to have a little dance party in your bedroom with Jesus. Like literally recognizing and verbally expressing to him, I would be a dead man if it wasn't for your mercy. Amen? We gotta, we gotta be able to do that. I wanna, you know, there, my story, your story, all of it, God's story. Like, I wanna thank God in his mercy that he woke my youth pastor who was a volunteer, didn't get paid a penny, woke him up in the middle of the night when I was running from God and literally, for those that don't know, if you're new here, uh, most have heard the story. I ran from God for five years in my late teens, got arrested my heart at 19, had never been the same. I'm 51 years young in the room. And, and so, but I remember when I was 18, my mom and dad uh, took my brothers away. I can't remember what was going on. I think I was, yeah, I was working a part-time job, so I couldn't go away, couldn't get off. And my dad like threatened my life, don't you dare have anybody over at this house while we're gone. I took it as an invitation for a house party. <laughs> and so I invited everybody and I wasn't living for God, so it wasn't a good godly house party, unfortunately. And so there were a lot of bad things going on on our property, uh, unbeknown to my parents, but God saw it. And he woke my youth pastor up in the middle of the night, good old brother Bill, we still talk about it when I visit Dothan, he sees me like, God, thank you, Lord, I didn't kill him. Because I drove Brother Bill crazy. I would talk while he was preaching. Now, I'd been out of church for a couple of years. My mom and dad, they raised us in church, but I would just fight with them tooth and nail. And finally, they were just like, I, we, we can't argue. Just stay, whatever, you know. And so I, I was out of church. I was a hellion. I was, I was running from God, not after God. And that night, in the middle of the night, the Lord came to Brother Bill in his bedroom right there and woke him up. And, and Brother Bill tells the story. He's like, I thought it was the devil at first because I heard Chris's name involved. <laughs> Lord's like, go over to Chris's house right now. Brother Bill's like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> we, we laugh about it now. And, uh, and, and then the second time, literally, Brother Bill tells that, that the Lord came to him. Just a few minutes later, he had just fallen back asleep. He's like, all right, devil's gone. I'm going back to sleep. And then, and then the Lord's like, get over to Chris's house now. And so he, he came over with, with pajamas and slippers. Now, I didn't see this until later, but what I, I knew something was going on because there was tons of people at our house, tons of people in our yard, and all of a sudden, I started seeing people running. Everybody's running. And Brother Bill's walking up. Can you see with the coffee and his pajamas and his loafers? And he's like, I'm calling the cops in 60 minutes, 60 seconds. I'm calling the cops. Everybody's like, the cops, the cops. Everybody's running for their life. Somebody thought the cops were already there. So in the house just emptied out in a matter of moments. And all this is going on. I'm like, what is happening? And I'm sitting there with my best friend at the table, right, looking at the backyard and the porch. And then I see Brother Bill coming over. And he was giving me that look like, you got me out of my bed. <laughs> and for two hours, listen to me, he did not lecture me. He loved on me. I'm standing here today for the three men and one of them's Brother Bill by the mercy of God. And he even said, I'm not gonna call your dad, though I want to. <laughs> like right now at four in the morning. He said, you're going to tell your dad. And he just, he didn't lecture me. He just kept saying, Chris, 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 stop running. He said, do you know that God loved you enough that he woke me up twice? <laughs> and I came over here, I love you, but God loves you. Stop running. Church, I'll tell you, that was the beginning, the beginning, I was 18, I came to the Lord back at 19, of my heart softening. That was the mercy of God. It's, it's important that we take time to remember and thank God for all he's done. To, to literally verbally express to him, don't do it here, do it out of your mouth. Let everybody, including every demon, let them all hear what God has done. Because the reason I say that is, uh, they don't know what's going on in your mind, let them know that you ain't the old you you used to be. You ain't going back there anymore. So we need to become good at this. Amen? We need to become good at expressing our gratitude of what he's brought us from. And let me just say to you like this, right here on the screen, when you become good at thanking the Lord for his mercy and forgiveness throughout your life, you'll be quick to run to him when you stumble and fall. Leave that on there. I want people to get that truth. When you become good at thanking the Lord for his mercy and grace throughout your life, when you do fall, when you do make a mistake, when you do have a, what I call a flesh flash, when you do lose your temper, when you do sin, let's just call it what it is, sin. When you do sin, you'll run to the mercy seat of God because you know the mercy of God. Not to take advantage of the mercy, but you know he loves you in your filth. And it's that love, that unfailing love and mercy of God that brings you right back to him. See, I'm telling you, many of you, like me in the past, because I thought God was always wanting to punish me, I always felt like I had to do like 100 holy push-ups, works mentality to come before God. That's, that's religion, church. Jesus died for relationships, so even when you're hurting and you're filthy and you're full of sin, we can come before him because of the blood of Jesus. We can come before the mercy seat of the Lord. We can come before the throne, as Hebrews tells us, because of the blood of Jesus. We can actually come boldly even when we're filthy and dirty.
because of who we are and whose we are. Amen? Does that make sense? So we, 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 gotta, we gotta get this. And you know, the thing about this grace and truth and the mercy of God, do you know who really struggled hearing this? Was the religious crowd. They, they didn't like this. Number one, it was messing with them on the inside. They're like, no, 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 no. It's judgment, law. Ju- no, we need to stone them. No, they need, they're, no, no. And they're hearing all this mercy. And really, not just the religious crowd, but specifically the religious leaders, the preachers of that day, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I'll tell you what, they were not in the mercy business. They had a standard that no one could do. I mean, they held this standard so high, they added so many commands to the, to the Ten Commandments, people didn't even know which way to turn. They, nobody could meet all these standards they made up, the, the, the religious leaders at that time. Even the religious leaders couldn't meet their own standard. And they saw themselves morally superior. Everybody else down there, the religious crowd did. They looked down on everybody. And you know what drove them nuts? What drove them crazy was that this Jesus of Nazareth was spending time with wicked people. He was spending time with the degenerates. He was spending time with the people at the bars. He was spending spending time with all these people, uh, just these wicked, evil people. And it drove them crazy. What they didn't realize was mercy was spending time with these people to heal them, to change their life forever. Listen, church, if we're not careful, come on, 11 a.m., lean into me real quick. This is very important we get this. I look at my own heart first. If we're not careful, the longer you become a Christian, we can easily become more religious and self-righteous. It can jump on us. Let me say it to you like this. If we are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we will become religious. Go watch that message from last week. But if we're not hungering for God, if your appetite is not wanting more of God, you become to a place of comfort and you can quickly become religious. And when you become religious, you become self-righteous. And you quickly find yourself being judgmental toward everyone but yourself. Let me give you just a few examples. Y'all with me? Just just a few examples just to kind of get us going there just for a moment. Um. So one of them is this, we, examples of becoming self-righteous and that you're carrying a religious spirit, which of course is, is demonic. That is not the will of God for any of us in the room. Uh, one example is we see the offense and the wrong in others, but never ourselves. It's, a, it's just this holier than thou attitude. Let me, let me give you an example. You might consistently look at pornography, but you judge someone who's living a homosexual lifestyle. You might be consistently having sexual sin, but you judge the neighbor next door who's not married living together. That's what I'm talking about. That's a self-righteous religious spirit. Another example would be is that we don't, we don't see the need to admit or confess our sins to anybody. Just don't need to do it, which that's completely opposite of the Bible. I could give you a thousand verses. One of my favorites is James 5, 16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. I've learned to be just a good tattletale on myself. 
We just need to just need to you know, just owe up and just tattle on ourselves. I know as kids we heard not to do that, but we need to do that to the Lord and to some trusted brothers and sisters. Another example of becoming religious and self-righteous is we get angry when others are recognized, honored, and publicly praised because we think we should get it. We get angry, and it's it's centered around jealousy, but we get angry when others are praised. And actually, the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice, to celebrate others. And that's what we love to do around here, to celebrate you. Another example is we we don't see, we're talking about religious spirit, self-righteous. We don't see the need for the importance of biblical community. We know about biblical community. We hear about biblical community, but hey, we're good. We're too busy. We're good. We're fine. We don't ever say it. We just live that way. No, listen, you need me and I need you. We need each other. We are a biblical community, a family This is a a beautiful service. It's a big crowd, 9 a.m., 1 p.m. It's awesome. I could brag on what God does on Sunday all day long, but we don't don't grow in rows. We grow in circles. We grow grow relationally by being together, doing life together. It's called koinonia, fellowship, true fellowship. We need each other. And finally, in regards to the message today, when you know you're a religious, when you're walking in a religious spirit and you're, you're growing self-righteous, we experience a lot of mercy in our lives over our story, like we were bragging on him earlier, but we rarely give it out to others. We don't extend it to others. We've experienced tons of mercy and we know it, but we, we don't give out mercy. I'll give you a, a few verses here. Romans 2 says this, Paul's talking in Romans 1, read Romans 1, he's pointing out all these things that are wrong in the church and these things shouldn't be happening. And then, of course, we read it as chapters, it's really one big letter. Look at this right here on the screen, Romans 2, 1. He says this, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. And he's saying, because you know better. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And then a very popular passage of scripture, actually in the Sermon on the Mount, toward the end, Matthew 7, 1 and 2 says it like this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, judge not. That actually, the real word of that judge is the word condemn. Condemn not. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, there's a lot of judges' words in here, for the judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So when we hear all that, can we just take a moment real quick and pray? I think when you hear something like this, because I've been convicted all weekend of some things that the Lord's been showing me, and can I tell you what, if he even shows you a seed Let's let the Holy Spirit dig out that seed because if we don't watch it, that seed will become a tree in our life, a seed of bitterness, a seed of being critical spirit, a seed of unbelief, whatever that seed is, God, if it ain't you, I don't want it to grow in me in Jesus' name. So Father, we just come to you right now. We hear these things. We ask you to forgive us for hypocrisy. We ask you to forgive us for a critical spirit. Lord, we repent of being critical about others. Lord, we we ask you to forgive us of a self-righteous attitude. We so easily will point out things. We'll say it, even in a small group, we'll say something about another person 
to put them down to make us look better. Father, forgive us. And forgive us, Lord, for being judgmental. Lord, we're so quick to condemn and judge. There's only one judge, Lord, and it's you. And so, Lord, just forgive us. We repent of these things. And we want to walk in this new way that you were talking to the crowd at that time. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain, they will receive mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we do this? Before we close, I want to give you three things very quickly. I want to encourage you to take some notes on your phone or paper, and maybe the Holy Spirit might even show you something. So, uh, a, a dear sister came up just a, a couple Sundays ago and showed me her notes, and I was like, my goodness, you're an incredible note taker. And then I looked a little closer, and I'm like, I didn't say any of that. She's like, oh, I know. I just wrote down your points. The Holy Spirit just started showing me all kinds of stuff. That's why we take notes. It's almost like you're journaling. It's good for you, all right? And so let's, let's look at this. The, the, really, the question is, how do I live a life that reflects the mercy of God, which is the nature of God, in a world that's filled with sin and darkness? How do I live a life that reflects the nature of God in a world filled with sin and darkness? And the answer is, live a life of mercy. And let's look at three ways of how mercy does that. Y'all with me? All right, good, 10 of you. Uh, number one, uh, a life of mercy follows Jesus as the model. He's the leader, I'm the follower. We did a wonderful series, go back and watch it this past summer called Be Like Jesus, phenomenal. It was so good. A life of mercy follows Jesus as the model. I wanna read this from Matthew chapter nine. We're about to go to John eight in just a moment where I told you to go. But this is Matthew chapter nine. Listen to this very short story. And Pastor Dennis read this the other day on our Zoom calls. We were preparing for this message. And he said, hey, let me look at this in the message for a moment. And when he read it, it jumped off the screen to me. Let's look at this together. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. Oh, it's those people. Look at this. When the Pharisees, that was the religious leaders at the time, when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, when they saw Jesus keeping this kind of company, they had a fit. And they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is that? Can you hear them? Oh, that religious, pious spirit. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with the crooks and the misfits? Jesus overhearing, by the way, Jesus always could hear everything. So it's like you're whispering over here. Jesus like, I heard that. He's Jesus, right? But Jesus overhearing shot back at him. I love this. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Then he says this, go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm after mercy. Somebody say mercy. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here, I love this last line. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Amen. We're we're talking about following Jesus as a model, life of mercy. You know, one of the things I've learned about self-righteous people, and again, it can jump on any of us. It can jump on me if I'm not careful. 
I've got to be hungry and thirsting after Jesus. But one of the things I've learned about self-righteous people is if you only hang out with Christians all the time, you can quickly become judgmental. Stay with me because somebody's like, wait a minute, Pastor, what you talking about? What you talking about, Willis? Only one generation knows that phrase. (laughs) But I loved it. So we need to befriend everyone, not just Christians. Stay with me. My closest friends, my closest comrade in arms are Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people. They are from the light. But I'm going to befriend everyone or how else will others find Jesus? Neighbors who are lost, coworkers who are lost. I don't put them down. I'm not better than them. Actually, as a Christian, I'm their servant. So I'm gonna live the life of a model of Jesus. Jesus balanced it so beautifully that he hung a lot and spent time, very close time with his 12 and his three, but also at the same time, he was, as I said earlier, hanging out with the lost. And we just gotta be careful. This is why I even tell my staff that I don't want them always in the office. Go to a cafe and study your sermon. Go, go to a place, do, get out. Don't be stuck in a church building all day long. Get out into the world. You need, you, need to, you need to hear even the things that grieve your heart. I'll be at different places, I go to different cafes and I hear things like, oh gosh, but you know what? I need to hear that. So it shows me how to pray and love people where they're at and bring them right to Jesus. Are, you, are, you, are y'all with me? And so we got to follow Jesus' mom. He showed us how to love people who didn't agree with him. I'm thinking of the rich young ruler. I'm thinking of different stories in the Bible. I'm thinking of the woman at the well, like we talked about last week, who he wasn't supposed to talk to. That was a race issue. He went right up there and rubbed arms with her. We got to follow Jesus' model of mercy and unfailing love. And we got to follow the way he lived forgiveness. You remember the last words that Jesus said on the cross before it's, it is finished? When they're all mocking him, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Somebody's like, they knew what they were doing. Actually, they did not have the full picture at the time of what they were doing. So he's like, Father, forgive them. And he's telling us to live that way of mercy. He modeled for us the way we should treat people in all aspects of life. Number two, a life of mercy, a life of mercy. Now, this is a big one, loves in spite of sin. A life of mercy loves in spite of sin. Now, my 9 a.m. crowd, I need y'all to lean in, all right? Number one, they were really sleepy at 9 a.m., but they were scratching their heads on this one, so stay with me. And we, we, I brought them into the light, but they were struggling in the dark for a moment on this. Because this is where we really struggle. We really struggle on this. One of the major problems in the church today is we have adopted tolerance instead of mercy. We talked about that earlier, our gospel of toleration. All right? So what what does tolerate mean? It's very important to get us all on the same page. Tolerate means to allow, right here on the screen, to allow to be done without contradiction, to put up with. Now listen, let me just say this to you. Mercy doesn't tolerate sin. Mercy loves in spite of sin. 
But there's balance because there's grace and then there's truth. And one of the best stories, I think it's the best story of all the gospels. There's a bunch of them, but let's look at it together. I ask you to turn to John chapter eight. Let's look at it together. John chapter eight, look at verse three, and let's look at mercy wrapped with grace and truth and Jesus loving, but also confronting sin. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act of adultery. So I wanna ask the question, where where was the other party? Where was the man? Where was the man? He was in the crowd with the stone, I think. Now, of course, society at the time, very, very wrong and disrespectful. Women were like dirt. So it was very out of balance, all right? But there was somebody else involved. They were caught in the act of adultery. So they put her in front of the crowd. Why? To embarrass her, belittle her, and they're getting ready to stone her. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So they're trying, hook, line, and sinker, they're trying to trap Jesus. What do you say? They don't even realize they're talking to mercy. They were trying to trap him to saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. A lot of people, people, theologians, that's always been a discussion. I remember in Bible college hearing about this because we're all wondering, what in the world was he writing? Some people say that he was writing the names of the men holding that in their own sins. And some people say that he was writing the names of the men who had been with her. Either way, he was writing something and it's really ticking them off and so they just keep pushing and pushing and they kept demanding an answer, verse seven says. So he stood up again and said, all right, all right, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. They had never heard anything like that before. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, Bobby, Johnny, Tommy, I, was, I saw you. I'm just playing. I don't know what he wrote. I'm going to ask him, though, one day. Like, what were you writing? I was writing your name, Chris. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Father, yeah. Anyway. Uh, stooped down and wrote in the dust. So he's not even paying attention to him. He's just writing the dust. And then what happens? Look at it. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Beginning with the oldest. That's key. The one who had knew his life the longest. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. What a beautiful picture. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? Now listen, she was in shock because she was expected to be killed. That was culture, that was law. So she's in shock, like what is happening? And she's like, no, Lord, there's no one here. Look what Jesus says. Then Jesus said this, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. But he didn't stop there. Then he says, go and sin no more. So he shows her mercy, and then he tells her truth. Mercy was that she should have been killed according to culture and law. But in that moment, as he confronted everyone in that crowd holding stone with their own sin, and they walked away, and they didn't even realize that was mercy, 
then there she is experiencing beautiful mercy with grace and truth wrapped all around it. Notice he didn't say, hey, it's okay, it's okay. What you did, it wasn't really that bad. Let's not call it sin. No. He showed her mercy, gave her grace, but also spoke truth to her. I remember going to a family reunion uh, when I was running from God, and my older cousin took me out away from the food. I was in line food like, bro, this better be a good, I don't know what you're, brings me away. And he said, Chris, we haven't talked a lot about my life, but he said, I just wanna tell you, you gotta stop running from God. He said, I ran from God for years and I'm sitting there like, I didn't know this. Guys, we gotta be really better at telling each other stories. And so I'm sitting there and my cousin's like, what, what? And, uh, and Mike, that was his name, Mike was like, Chris, you gotta stop running from God this path leads to destruction. And he said, I'm, I'm just telling you, I love you enough. And in that moment, that was the mercy of God. I needed that. It planted seeds, even though I was like acting all macho on the outside, it planted something deep inside. We, we gotta love people, give grace, but love them and give them truth. I've, had, I've heard some stories of VHM people in this room and in other services that have called other VHM people who have quit church altogether, went over to their house. They quit talking about them and they went over to their house and said, dude, bro, sister, you gotta get back in church. That's love. They, they went in love. They, they spoke the love and is full of grace. Jesus pointed out very very much so pointing out the sin in her life. And he said, don't do it anymore. Go into this new life and don't do this anymore. He wasn't saying go and sin no more like you're gonna be perfect. He was like, stop having adultery. Stop doing this. It's going to kill you. He showed her beautiful, beautiful mercy. Pastor Colleen uh, Rouse said this, one of our founding pastor and it just jumped off the page to me. She said, if we say nothing to our loved ones, and I include friends in that, if we say nothing to our loved ones who are living in sin, they'll be standing in front of the judgment seat instead of the mercy seat. If we say nothing, church, we don't wanna carry that. Because you hear this a lot in church world, somebody should have said something. Can I tell you, that somebody's you. And go give them mercy like God has given you mercy. That somebody is me. I've had to do it many times, not because I'm pastor, but because God has given me so much mercy, I've got to go. I've told Lisa so many times, somebody needs to go. And she's like, Chris, I think, I think God's putting her heart. You need to go. You need to go talk to them. Jesus went all the way for us. We gotta do that for each other. Number three, final point. Talking about a life of mercy. Y'all still with me? A life of mercy yields mercy. A life of mercy yields mercy. In just a moment, I want you to prepare your hearts. We're gonna take communion as we get ready to close. A life of mercy yields mercy. Let me say it to you like this. When you look at your life, how much mercy seems to flow your way? So I'm, this is an evaluation point for me over the weekend, and it's an evaluation right now for you as you hear this question. When you look at your life, how much mercy has been given, how much mercy is coming to you from others? Remember, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive, they shall obtain mercy. 
When you're giving out mercy to others, listen, you're going to receive it. That is the promise. And the extra promise is you'll be blessed. So the promise is you will receive mercy when you give out and you'll be blessed. So if, let me say to you like this on the screen. If you're not consistently on the receiving end of mercy, then you need to check what you're giving out to others. If you're not receiving mercy from others, then instead of getting angry at people, no one gives me mercy. Are you giving mercy? What are you giving out? It might be what we were talking about and praying about earlier, being judgmental, being self-righteous, being critical or harsh. Father, forgive us. Let us give back. Let us echo what God has given to us. We are forgiven much. We gotta forgive and give people mercy, amen? There, there, and there may be, let me just say this in our final thoughts here, there may be even people in the room, because I used to think this way, and I'm a good old church boy. Well, until, until I get an apology, I'm, I'm not forgiving them. Can I tell you what I've learned? Most apologies don't come. And so there's a lot of people waiting for an apology, and you're getting bitter and bitter and bitter. And the Lord showed me years ago, like, Chris, you know what? You need to be quick to repent to me and to others, but as just as much as you have been an agent of hurt, there's been people that have hurt you, you gotta forgive and let go. If we're waiting for someone to apologize, to, to give other people mercy, you're gonna be waiting a long time. If you've gotten apologies, praise God, that's awesome. But if you don't, we gotta let go of that. They, they, they wronged me. We've all been wronged and we've all wronged King Jesus and he forgives me every single day. We, are, we have been forgiven much and so we have to forgive others. Listen, let me say to you like this, God will deal with them, but we gotta forgive them and, and let it go. It's killing some of you. We gotta let it go. And give them the mercy and forgiveness that's been given to you. Actually, let me say to you this. Give them the mercy and forgiveness that's been lavished on you and me. Scripture not only admonishes us to forgive, but it even tells us to give out mercy. Romans 12, 8, I think it is. To give out mercy with a joyful spirit. How do we do that? How do you give out mercy from a joyful heart? Another translation says a cheerful heart. Well, when you recognize how much mercy's been given to you, it's easy to smile. It's easy to smile. Close out with this verse. The saint, we were there earlier where Paul was talking to the church in Rome about being so judgmental. And then he's like, guys, you're missing it. Two verses down from what I read earlier, he says this in Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, who's his, God's kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's the kindness of God, it's his mercy that leads us to repentance. Listen, church, it's the mercy of God that he never gives up on us. In the flesh, I'd have given up on Chris Frith a long time ago but my father won't give up on me. He won't give up on you, sister. He won't give up on your marriage. He won't give up on your family. He won't get, that's his mercy. Can I just say this as we get ready to pray and check our hearts before we take communion? It's the mercy of God that every one of you in the room today hearing this message. It was the mercy of God that this was the subject come up for me to preach, for God to do something to me first before I deliver it to you. 
It's the mercy of God that you're hearing this word and already he's speaking to things in our hearts, right? That's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. It's his kindness. He's so good to us. He he lavishes his love on you and me. Unfailing love, unending love. And he wants us to walk in this new way. It's the mercy of God that there may be people in this room today that you are away from God, but here you are in church. You're running from God, but here you are, and God is saying, I want you. I want you so bad he gave up his only son. Let's pray together. And if that's you in the room today, if you're running from Jesus, like my story many, many years ago, but you're here today and you're running from Jesus or maybe you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If that's you in the room, I just wanna ask you, just between me and you and the Holy Spirit, if that's you and you say, Pastor, I've been running from God, I need the mercy of God in my life, I'm tired of doing my life my way, I need to return and surrender my heart to Jesus. If that's you, I wanna just ask you to raise your hand high, look right at me and say, Pastor, that's me, that's me. Don't be bashful, don't be shy, God sees it. Look right at me for a second. I want to see your eyes for just a moment. Yeah, God sees you. And the reason I want you, I want you to know God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you, brother. He loves you, sister. Anybody else? I need today, I need to run, return to Jesus. I've been running from God, but I need to run to God. And God says, come, 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 come. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Lord Jesus, all together, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you really lived, that you died on a cross and that you rose from the dead and that your love will never give up on me. And so today, where in the past I've been running from you, today I surrender into your arms. My life is yours. Everything I am is yours. And I call you who you are. King, Lord, Savior, and friend. My life is yours. I repent for doing my life my way. Help me be all that you call me to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. Can we just thank the Lord right now for those who made a decision for the Lord? Thank you, God. Can we, can we get our communion elements together real quick? And if you came in and you did not get one, just raise your hand. We have some ushers that will bring it to you. Just keep your hands up a little bit. They'll get to you as quick as possible. For those who raised your hand to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, number one, I just congratulate you guys. That's incredible. And also I wanna say this for those who did, please take a moment at the end of this, we're about just to end, our prayer team would be up here. They would love to pray with you, but also celebrate your decision because the first thing you do when you make a decision for Christ is tell someone, amen? And you tell them to acknowledge what Jesus did. So don't leave out of here and bolt out of here. Tell the prayer team of your decision. 
There's several scriptures about communion. Paul talked about it so well to the church of Corinth. And he was reflecting and he was remembering about what Jesus did. Communion is an expression of worship. It's also an act of remembrance of what Jesus did for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces. Would you break that little wafer right there, right now? Representing what Jesus did for me and for you. He was speaking of, showing them what he was about to go through. And he did it for me and you. And he broke it in pieces, said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take it. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for us. Every hit, every stripe, every lick, you were thinking of us. And then it says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Excuse me. An agreement confirmed, sorry, Agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Father, we thank you for your son's blood. There's power in the blood. There's healing in the blood. There's life in the blood. There's forgiveness in the blood. And so Jesus, we remember what you did and we honor you as an expression of worship. Amen. Go ahead and take the cup. Thank you, Lord. There should be some buckets there at the end of your aisle that you can put that trash in. And as you do that, I'm gonna pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We seal up this word in our hearts. We thank you for all that you're doing, Jesus. We thank you that you are the God of mercy. You are the God of mercy, oh God, and unfailing love and faithfulness. Help us, help me give out what you've so lavishly poured out on me. Lord, let this not just be a good pep talk. Let this word go deep in our hearts to live out. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you, church.